Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the time in your word, and we're grateful for the company of the saints, and we're grateful for the minds you've given us. We'd ask that you would bless it, all of it, as we hear what your son had to say. And in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in John, Gospel of, chapter 15, the whole chapter. Um, it's one of those... It's one of those portions of the scripture. If, you're, if you've been through John recently, you'll notice that things start to get end of Jesus' life right around chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus. Most of the book is essentially on the passion of the raising of Lazarus, triumphal entry, then trying to kill Jesus, uh, the Last Supper, the, the various things. And this is in the middle of that. Um, Judas has already been sent out from the Last Supper, and Jesus is probably, if you look at the end of chapter 14, if you have a Bible, the last line of chapter 14 is, rise, let us go hence. So what he says in chapter 15 is probably what they were talking about on the way, because he gets to a certain place in um, the next chapter. Uh, and gives his high priestly prayer in 17. This is all leading up to his arrest. Um, and uh, uh, it's a rich, rich portion. It's Jesus unloading really important stuff on the disciples that they're picking up bits and pieces of. Amazing John remembered it. Maybe the Lord told him again, but it's a wonderful section. Uh, and I don't, by going through a whole chapter of it in chapter 15, we're not going to touch on everything that could be touched on there. The Lord is so, uh, there's so much depth in what he has to say. Uh, but I wanted to point out something here that I noticed in chapter 15. Now you, you're familiar with some of these lines, some of these verses. Verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Now we've noticed, and I've taught before, that Jesus is intentionally obtuse, intentionally wanders from the point. Uh, it seems like he wanders from the point. Or he throws um, a speed bump to your thought. This is not simple uh, life improvement, life coaching by Jesus Christ. This is not, this is what you should do next after you've done that. He wants you to spend some time thinking about how you approach him. How you think of yourself in regard to him. Now, what should come to our minds in verse 3, you are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. It should concern any of us that to be made clean, or we would recognize that the word spoken to us had a clean, cleansing power with the disciples. And they were made clean by the word that had been spoken to them. And we as Christians desire to be clean. That's why we became Christians. 
So our relationship with the words spoken to us is going to matter. You, you look at basic faith, right? You look back at all the lessons on faith, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe the church creed. He didn't believe the confessions. He didn't believe that what the pastor said was true. He didn't believe what mom and dad say they believe. He believed what God said. God made a promise to him. You will be the father of multitudes. And Abraham believed him. Faith is whether you believe God. And you're made clean by what the Lord had spoken to you. The disciples were made clean by what he had spoken to you. It would seem that there's an awful lot of our lives should be centered on hearing what God has spoken. Um, you probably have been in Christian circles long enough to either have wanted yourself or seen others want God to reveal himself regarding do they marry Susie Q or Sally Y? Or which job should they take, the one in St. Louis or the one in... Um, uh, we don't believe in speaking in tongues in this church, so he had to be escorted out. Because no one interpreted. The, uh, the idea that we would all love to have God speak to us. You ever hear some you know, pious friend of yours... Well, I think really God has been saying to me, oh, really? That you should major in Soch? Uh, God is really saying to me, God's really speaking to me. Everybody would like to have God speaking to them. It'd be an important thing. If you got together and spoke with anybody important, you would remember everything they said. We have had God speak to us. His word has come to man. I mean, we're looking at it this morning. I didn't write this. This was written a long time ago by a disciple of our Lord. And the Lord is already saying things that, that hang on how you listen, or what you heard, or what you listened to, what you believed when you heard it. So if you want God to speak, you have to prove, first off, that you have listened to him when he has spoken. Because you're cleansing, your walk with him, all sorts of things. We're going to see in this passage, the, the, this whole chapter has a, a, a one element, one axis in it that is being held together by how you listen to God. He says in verse 4, abide in me. Now, that, just, I like the RSV. This is the RSV. Some of you might like uh, King James, some of you might like NASB. I don't know what the other translations say, but it's almost like impossible to say what these words mean because everybody likes the Bible, the Bible talk, you know, abide, and make much of words like abide. And it's not make up much of it. Try to disabuse yourself of any pious notion of abiding. You live in him. It's where you live. You abide in an abode. Right? It's, that's an abode and you abide in it. It's where you live. Live in him. Live in Christ and he lives in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, 
Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. So, so far, Christ's the vine in both illustrations. God's the vine dresser, you're the branches. You're in the vine. He who abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Now, I want you to spot something as this, this is coming up, because there's a lot of, not riddles, the Lord's not speaking in riddles, but he defines himself as he goes on. John records this a lot in Christ, that, that if you read a few verses surrounding some obscure passage, you begin to see that he defines himself and defines his terms. So he's talking about these things like, well, and people run around going, how do I abide in Christ? Well, you said it was just living in him. How do I live in Christ? Did you ever run into that as a little kid? I was raised in a Southern Baptist home, a church, and uh, there was that big picture of the Lord with a lantern knocking at the door. Remember that? You ever get that ivy all over it? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And little kids got that in their heads. And you, they wondered, okay, I don't even understand how this is going to happen. I just, I can say these words, but what do we mean? Accepting Jesus into your life. And then later on, you know, when you got really pious, oh no, no, we are accepted into his life. Whatever you say, what do we mean when we say it? These are just, again, pious words that we please ourselves with by regurgitating among the saints because we all feel a certain thing about it, but what's the Lord talking about? He obviously wants fruit, right? Because the reason you have a vine and the branches on the vine is so that the vine would bear fruit and the vine dresser does things to those that don't bear fruit and he increases the fruit production of those that do. Because if you abide in him, if you continue to live in him, you bear fruit. That's what it said in verse 5. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So you only get pruned, producing more and more fruit. So what do we mean? What do we say? Do we, do we have some sort of um, meditation time after church where we have, you know, put on a, uh, a Spotify thing channel that would just play a bunch of Gregorian chants so we can all feel really spiritual, dim the lights, maybe get a fog machine, roll fog across the floor. Because you'd feel real godly then. I mean, especially if there's ivy on the outside of the building. Is that what we're after? If a man does not abide in me, verse 6, he is cast forth as a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Do with that what you will. Verse 7, if you abide in me, this is a situation that sounds like he's helping you define where you stand. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, so he replaced I abide in you with my words abide in you. Your relationship to Christ in you is whether or not you have had faith in him and have listened to his teaching and listened and sought his teaching and sought to be a Christian. We follow Jesus Christ. Have I, have I just been happy to have all the belief systems clear in my pastor's mind or in the history of my denomination's mind or in somebody else's mind that I trust? Or do I want to know the words 
of Christ? Are they living in me? What's your relationship with the four Gospels? If you abide in him, his, and his words abide in you, ask whatever it will. You will, and it shall be done for you. Oh, this, is, this is like a lively Christianity. Not only are you bearing fruit, but you're walking with some power in the, the disciples were. I, I don't want to claim that this is just life for everybody. We are talking to the disciples minus Judas Iscariot. But these sorts of things are told to us in the Great Commission at the end when he after the resurrection when he commissions his disciples and he says teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Teach the saints, that's you guys, to observe all that Christ commanded the disciples. So as though you're, although you're looking over the shoulder of the disciples in the Last Supper or walking away from the Last Supper, you're, um, you're being informed because John decided to write it out for you what, what Christ wants of you, what kind of life he wants of you. Because, so you're, you're one, you've been given some information, the word of Christ that you need to have a relationship with, one for cleansing alone, my words, back in verse 3, you were already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Now he has made synonymous with, uh, with listening to his word, him living in you. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God's up to something in history. What is this all about? What do you think it, do you think the world is here that you might have an interesting job and profession? Do you think the world is here so that you could finally meet your one true love, get married and bear 2.5 children and whatever makes you happy? Is, is, is life here, is the narrative here for some you know, mundane or pedestrian or very suburban hope of some sort of glory? Are you here because God is writing this up? God is glorified in this, that you bear fruit to prove to be the disciples of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Whatever you want to think the fruit is, is it evangelistic? Is it good deeds? Is it, is it uh, the change of life that you, might, that you might have because you listen to the word of Christ? It's going to be a bunch of those things. But you're proving to be the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> you certainly don't want to leave that hanging out there. Because nothing, nothing makes a temptation to go back to the law like that kind of thing hanging over your conscience. Where you get, oh golly, we won't prove that we're, we're Christians unless we are really all really uber godly and then this is what's the uber godliness and we go start looking at all the law or make up rules for ourselves try to be really pious and then we have to get a big system of bureaucracy going of, of getting out there and knocking on door after door after door because unless we bear fruit whether you're a social action Christian socialist or you're a evangelical fundamentalist with tracts 
you can really get into a, a bind. This is supposed to be fruit. This is supposed to be what is. It's a state of living, a state of being. It's you, how you related to what God said in Christ. Do you relate? Ask yourself today, how do I relate to what Christ has taught? I know people who, in the Christian church who are a little bothered, kind of like the Pharisees were, at what Christ taught. I know parts of Jesus' teaching that are always fun to go to to create a good discussion some evening over a few beers, you know, because you know that Jesus says things that are difficult. But we're proving to be his disciples, and God is glorified in those two things. I proved I was a Christian, and I bore fruit if I live in Christ, and Christ's words live in me. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, the, the thing you know is because you've heard this enough about the new covenant in this church. We are not under the law. The moral quantities of Jesus of, of God are fulfilled in us by the Holy Spirit producing love in us, because as St. Paul says, love does not wrong its neighbor. In this, the whole law and the commandments are fulfilled. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Christian ethics is based on. The love God creates in us. So Christ, this is before the death of Christ, this is right before the death of Christ, this is preparing, you might say, the disciples for the way the Christian life is going to be led, but he's laying down the rules. The Father's loved me, I've loved you, live in that love. Because he has just said, you abide in me, I abide in you. Then he defined how he abides in you by saying, my words abide in you. Now he's letting you know how you abide in him. You abide in his love. So you abide in Christ's love, he abides in you by his word. Enough abides, abodes, abidings thrown at you. Go back and look at it and say, okay, how does it define, when it tells me to abide, when it says he's going to abide, what is it telling me is happening? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So what are the synonymous things? We are asked to, be, to live in him, persist in living in him. It's where I'm from. That's being defined as living in his love. That is being spoken of as keeping his commandments. Right? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. It's the relationship. This is what it looks like. Now, <clears throat> something could very easily, at any point, you can see the law, see the word commandments comes like a dark sky coming over your Christian life, and a lot of you don't want to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ because you've got this awful feeling he's going to tell you to stop doing certain things or start doing certain things. Some of it you should probably stop doing and start doing. So apart from you sinners who need to have 
There are some of you who got this awful feeling that your Christian life will never be the same. You're not being bad. You just figure that you have to be more devout than you really want to be if you listen to God too much. You have this fear of commandments. But remember, the Lord is bringing his new covenant in his Son. It's a new covenant of love. It's a new covenant of nature. What Jesus Christ in his grace did for you But the commandments are going to be met by it. That's why he says all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this one commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the fulfillment of the commandment that God wants. God wants to be glorified by you bearing fruit and you proving to be one of the Lord's. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. Now, when you, if you feel any kind of nervous twitch coming on, like, I don't know, I thought this was a pretty cool church, because um, there are pretty cool people here, and they, they don't seem to, but they're taking it kind of seriously, I don't know. Well, I want to let you know, at least... This is being done not so that we can create a bunch of dead, dead, dead. That doesn't prove Christianity. Dead Christians, living Christians, people living in Christ, not dying in Christ. These things, verse 11, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Got that? That's the point Jesus Christ said. If you're not coming away rejoicing, you got something wrong. You, got, you, you missed the point. You decided to trade in Christianity for some sort of Christian-looking Pharisaism. And there's an awful lot of Christian-looking Pharisaism. Awful lot of deeper walk clubs that you could join that you're not really having a good time here. The Lord is doing this so that you could have the joy of Christ in you and your joy, the one you experience, would be full. This is my commandment. He just told you, if you keep his commandments, you abide in his love. We knew that living in him was to live in his love. He then tells you that keeping the commandments is living in love. And it started to sound kind of negative, but the dark sky showed up, and thunder and lightning, and, and the Mount Sinai, and all that. This is my commandment. It's in big type. It was, it was that way in the original. Really, honestly. When, when, when John wrote it, he got really big and wrote it in all caps. This is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you. That's wonderful about Christ in John. He defines himself. He didn't say, keep the commandments... That will define your love. Feel free to make your own list. Or gather your commandments as you would like. He lets you know what his commandment is. It's repeated down in 1 John. A new commandment that we love one another. This is my commandment. Going back to our basic theme of how we listen to God, or that we listen to him at all. Listen to his Christ. His words have made you clean, supposedly. His words need to abide in you. You should be rushing at this. 
It made a nice big type so that you could easily see it later on when you put it on the fridge or talk about it after church with John and Kenny. So you could rush at this and say, this is what I want. I want this commandment. I hear this from our Lord, that we love one another in the same way he loved us. Then he gives us a little definition. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You've heard that. That's usually the big thing, or that's usually the, you know, somebody on Facebook, you know the friends on Facebook, they don't have much else to post, but soft focuses of trees in a meadow with this kind of verse on it. And that's it. Nothing else goes, you're kind of grateful it's not their lunch being pictured, but you know, you, you always get these meaningful passages of scripture. And that's wonderful. Because that's exactly what he does, is he lays, he gives that example, he says, as I have loved you, and there is no greater love that you could do than lay down your life for your friends. That's ominous. You know this is before the crucifixion, just before. And then he defines who they are. You are my friends. Oh, that's really ominous for those of us a few years later. He's going to lay his life down for his friends. But what did he say to us? That you love one another that way. That was the command. And you get to be those friends of Christ for whom he dies if our life together is doing what our Lord commanded regarding love. Knowing that the ethical frame of this church and any Christians you have fellowship with that you affect and, and benefit and bear fruit in, if they're pushed into more and more love, they will do right by each other. They won't cheat each other. They won't be malicious towards each other. They won't be bitter against each other. They won't lose their tempers against each other. They won't run off with each other's wives. They won't do bad things. We are made good like our Lord. We proved to be the Lord's disciples because we obey this one command the way he obeyed that love. And we became his friends thereby. If that makes you uncomfortable, by the way, that friends keep commands, well, no, friends though, talk everything up. No, you're kind of friends. You know, you're, you've got this post-John Locke nonsense going on in your head that you're all equal. We belong in Christ in a body. We are his bride. We are members of his body. We are less than he, but we're connected to him. The membership we have, the friendship we even have. You guys are married, know that you're friends with your wife. Right? And your members as well. We know that you're going to have friends sometimes, and this kind of friendship is great, that you are included in the body and the closeness of an agent much higher than you. That is there to give orders to your life. That's the nature of his relationship to you. But it's a friendship. It's a membership. And you do what he commands. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. And I want you to hear that in terms of the basic point, which is, how do we deal with listening to God? How do we deal with what the word he has spoken is? Because his life in us, his cleansing of us, is all about whether we heard what he said. What did he say about love? What did he say about 
keeping it? Which way did he want us to keep it? How close does he want us to be to it? How much fruit does he want us to bear? What happens to us when we don't bear fruit? The servant doesn't know what the master is doing. He wants you to be friends of his, like his disciples were friends of his, who had been moved up, not because they were in charge now, or now had become peers of Jesus Christ. They had not become peers of Jesus Christ. They had become friends. They were still less. He was still Lord. He was still their master. He still gave the rules, and they followed them. But what made them friends was that they knew what he was doing. You don't have to explain to the domestic help why. Ever throw a party? Some of you ladies have thrown parties where you've had some of your friends come over and they do whatever you tell them to because it's your party, your house, your table. So the way you want it set and what kind of center arrangement you want you love because they're your friends to explain to them what effect you're trying to get and why you're trying to get it. If you just hire a bunch of, you know, domestic hirelings, there's really no need to explain to them what you're trying to achieve. They're not your friends. We know we are friends of God because we care enough to know what he's doing. Do you care? Since the creation, I don't know if you noticed this book before, it's called the Bible, and it goes way back, let's see, how far, all the way back to page, that's the introduction, four, mine starts on page four, but it also starts with the beginning of the universe, okay, starts way back, beginning of the universe, your God started doing things. Your friendship with him is in your knowledge of what he's about. What is this all about? What are we being, what is the grace of God achieving in us? We share a knowledge of that and become his friends. For whom he died, because no greater love than what he did for us. And that we're called to that same kind of love in order to live in his love, which is to live in him. You living in love is living in Christ. You hearing his word is him living in you. The servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. That's, that's pretty wonderful. Maker of heaven and earth, incarnate on earth, making known to us on earth, what he'd like us to know. Have you jotted down a few things that the Lord has said in his Holy Gospels? John says at the end of his that, boy, if we wrote down everything he said, the world wouldn't contain. He was really laying it out for the disciples. We had the disciples then go, okay, all right, let's write down the really important ones. And they do. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of them not written by disciples, but close. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you to love one another. 
Yeah, any wonders? I mean, they, if you look down the page before we started this, you saw, love one another as I have loved you. As I command you, love one another. Oh, it's a sermon about love. We all like to talk about love. Love's great to talk about. But here is love as a commandment. And you know that love, obeying a command to love when you don't love somebody, when love is not the fruit in you by the Holy Spirit, there's really nothing you can do. It's got to be the grace of God. It's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It's how you find the commandment obeyed. Is going to God for grace. Going to God for his power. Because if you try to love as he loved things start to happen negatively. You, you, you ever see Christians trying to get the world to love them? We're, our job is not to get loved by the world. That's not the Christian success story. The Christian success story is you loving them, not them loving you. If you, That little mistake could cause a lot of ministries a little more wisdom if they didn't try to get love, but they gave love. And they recognize not only could you not get love, but you will probably get 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is a long pattern. Just like you're to love like he loved, the world will hate you like they hated him. And just like he died in his love, they killed because of their hate. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's where confusion starts to happen. The world is in a business, uh, a, a cycle of death and hell, that is based on them listening to themselves and to their authorities that encourage them to listen to themselves rather than listening to God. They are not people of faith. They do not love God because love turns toward. Love seeks. You know, what's the difference between romance and stalking? Really nothing. You know, it's just a matter of the stalker always thinks he's giving it his all. He's proving to her how much and deeply he cares. What could be more wonderful than that? Well, prison time, I suppose. Uh, there, we know that love pursues. We know love turns toward. My old brother used to say, people vote with their feet. People go where they want to be. People seek what they desire. Do you love God? The world doesn't listen to God. The world does not seek God. If you were of the world, the world would seek you. We get confused by this because we know that Jesus is here making us loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and gentle. I mean, the nicest people on the planet. You guys are the nicest people on the planet. Why, do, you know, why doesn't anybody you know, want to be your best friends in this world? Because they don't like God. And it gets you confused. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and they seem really interesting? Not really interesting, really interested in what you're saying. 
And then about two weeks later, they're walking to the other side of the street when they see you. He didn't do anything to them except ruin their life. That's all you did was point out Jesus Christ and holiness and, and forgiveness of sins and life eternal and that ruined their life. The world hates us. So what do we do? We try to create ministries that make Jesus Christ more attractive than he is. Because frankly, he's not actually attractive to the world. If you go down that path, you will keep going until you can't call yourself a Christian anymore because there's so many things in what our faith teaches about seeking God that you can't give up enough to please the world. And pretty soon, that Christendom becomes nothing of what our Lord taught. Or at some later point in your life, you'll begin to realize that you want to go back to him. Remember verse 20, the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. St. John writes in 1 John that anyone who is of Christ listens to him, listens to John. We had that promise from Christ that if they listen to me, if they listen to my word, they'll listen to your word. You are there representing God to them. We as Christians are representing Christ and God to them. If they listen, if they're interested in Christ, they'll be interested in what you have to say. But all this they will do to you on my account, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. This is what hearing the word of God does. It turns, you're, you're deciding to ignore what God is speaking. To decide what, what God is speaking is not of any import to you. And you can do it in all levels. You could do it as a frat brother. You could do it, as, you know, and just say, I really want to be on my roof with an upside down couch and, you know, a beer bong. That's how, that's how I'm rebelling against what God wants. Some people will do it inside the church. Some people will do it with a lot of passive aggressive uh, animosity to their parents. Whatever it is, they're doing something that they know God, that God has spoken to them enough that they know and they have a place to sin. They would not have this sin if Christ had not come and spoken to them. The hearing produces even more sin. You know, have you read that in, in uh, Paul where he talks about the law came to increase the trespass? An awful lot of what we preach for the world is just increasing how wicked they seem to themselves to be. It identifies them and they don't like being identified. This is why you know what the ministry of the Father and the Son are. You know what to expect as you live the life of love that Christ has called you to. You won't be surprised at the hatred you get, the persecution you get. He who hates me hates my father also. 
If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Did that ever bother you that when the guards went from the tomb, having just faced down angelic powers and tell the high priests that yes, he did it, that they paid them to shut up? Does it, does it bother you that people would do something like that? How can they? It was true. Yeah, but you don't understand. Your power, your place, your service to you is really important. I've known a number of people that said they would become Christians if I ever approved it to them. And I did. And they believed me. But they didn't become Christians. They knew it was right. They knew it was true. Maybe even some of you have been in that place in your own Christian life, growing up in a Christian home, where you knew this was all true. I know a number of Christians today, people who claim to be Christian sort of background. They know it's true. They don't believe anything else. And they do not follow Jesus Christ. It's who you love. Who do you listen to? Do you listen to your urges? Do you listen to your passions? Do you listen to you, your pride of life? Do you listen to your Lord? Because once I start listening to God in Christ, I, once I start listening to Christ, I start listening to God. When I hate him, I hate the Father. When I love him, I love the Father. It is to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. But when the counselor comes, and he just announced this in the previous chapter, the coming Holy Spirit, when the counselor comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. Now what I want you to think about is, other than the, the cosmology of that, or when the Holy Spirit's work begins to be done in the church, or Pentecost, all sorts of great things we could be talking about scripturally, but in terms of what we're talking about this morning is, this chapter is all about do you listen to God? Did, you have, did his word make a change in you? Did you intend toward it? Did you listen? You know where the word listen, the list? You listen. You lean towards, you listen. I, I'm going to be 60 in October. And uh, sometimes my wife mumbles. And I have to go, what? And what do I do? I lean forward, turn my head. I even, you even pull the ear forward a little bit. Ever do that, you old people? You have to listen toward it more because you, your spouse has got a whispering problem. We need to listen to our God. The Holy Spirit came to bear witness to him. He told the disciples, he will remind you of everything I said to you. His word cleanses us. His word is that we should love. His word is tied to all these ratcheting up things of you living in God and Christ. His word is him living in us. It's important that the counselor of the Holy Spirit, bearing that witness, be bearing witness in someone who hears it. 
isn't just viewing Christianity as that subset of their life, just like their major. We need to ask ourselves, are we a friend of God? Remember his definition? You move from servant to friend when you know what's up. You know what the master is doing. All these things, our God decided to argue with us in rational debate. Read through Romans, you get that sort of treatment. Speak to us in dark, prophetic utterances that are powerful to study, but deep and disturbing. He filled you with his Holy Spirit that you would have a witness to him. His followers put together a Bible filled with writings of his prophets and his apostles. We have an opportunity to be busy leaning towards God, cocking our ear towards him, knowing that the world, we're discovering every minute we do that, a better understanding of what all of this is about. We will not be surprised. And sometimes, and some of us might have to die because we know that's what the kind of love that we have been given does for each other. But it doesn't bother us because we know to what we have been called. They were witnesses, verse 27, because you have been with me from the beginning. I'd recommend that you start there too. You have two beginnings that you could be looking at. One is the beginning of your own walk in the Lord. All the people around you that have been praying for you, who can teach you, your parents, your family, your, your friends. But also, start with the beginning of his revelation of himself. Go back to Genesis. Or in the Christian circles, read the Gospels again. Listen to what your Lord taught. You want to be in a company of believers and friends that encourage you to listen more and more to him. Not to the church. Uh, we're not to be trusted. We have pointy windows that affect you emotionally. That's not the thing. Is it the Christ? Is it what he says? Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we are grateful. You are kind to us. You have spoken many things to us some of them hard to understand, which the wicked and unstable twist to their own destruction. Lord, give us the kind of heart that stands before you, your son, and has his words live in us, that we respond by thinking the way he thinks, and we understand what you are doing. We'd like to be your friend. And in your son's name we pray, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.